Welcome to this week's episode of The Unpaid Professionals, where we interview bushfire volunteers from all over Western Australia. Today we're interviewing Phil Penny, a volunteer member of Yarloop and Coconut Bushfire Brigade. Phil, how are you today? Yeah, good, thanks. It's good. Um, thank you for volunteering to share your time with us. So I guess we'll start off with a few standard questions. So how long have you been a volunteer for? 43 years. 43 years to a while. And um, what got you into volunteering? Basically, I, I joined up when Cyclone Elby came through. There was, there was fires all over the place. I was about, I think I was 14 and a half at that stage. And they said, oh, another six months you can, you, you know, you can join up when you turn 15. That's what I did. I, I joined up as soon as I turned 15. And, yeah, been a member of Yarloop ever since. So yeah. Member of Cooking Up, I don't know, three or four years. So pretty much, um, I guess you put it down as, you know, my hobby. Yeah. So are your family involved as well? No, but very supportive. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I guess that makes it handy. Yeah, it, well, it does. I mean, you know, the wife and even our two daughters, They've always supported what I did. So, yeah, that sort of made things a bit easier, you know, because what a lot of people don't realise is that it's actually, you know, quite stressful on the rest of the family, you know, when you're away and, you know, when you've got fires and stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, if you've got their support, it just makes it so much easier. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Um, Well, I guess, so one of the main reasons we've got you on today as well is to talk a little bit about what happened at the Warrunee Yarloop fires five years ago. It was such a massive event. Is there somewhere specific you'd like to start? Um, It it was, you know, it it was just one of those weeks, I think. Prior to it, we'd had a couple of fires, you know, smaller fires in in the days leading up to that. So both Waruna and Yarloop and you know, sort of that area, if you like. A lot of the brigades had, had actually been out being quite active. On a Wednesday, when that fire actually started, we had one just up the road from town. That was actually a bird flying in the power line. And we got called out to it, in, in, you know, sort of late in the day on Wednesday again. And I think that was the last time we went home for about three days. Because at the same time, you know, the, the fire that had started up in Lane Pool, that, that sort of, you know, got to Waruna. And, yeah, it was just, it was just for me, you know. It, 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 it really didn't give you a chance to have any sort of a breather or a break. It, it just went and went and went. And I, I think, you know, sort of probably by the early hours of Thursday morning, I, I think a lot of the people involved, as in, you know, brigade people, at a local level, I think they all had the realisation that this wasn't just going to be a, an overnighter, you know, that we, we were in a bit of strife. So, yeah, it was, it was sore from the word go. Yeah. So where did everyone, like, where did everyone rest? Like, was there a time to rest? No, we sort of stopped and had something to eat, and, you know, a coffee and that sort of thing, and then you'd sort of go around kicking feet because everybody was having a, having a quick snooze while they could. And um, yeah, you know, we we made sure that we got a bit of a break, and you know, people did get a bit of sleep. Uh, they didn't get a lot, but and and the other thing too was that I guess it was one of those times when everybody was so keyed up that um, it was actually hard to um, get some sleep. So it was was 
heard from quite a few people that it was a massive community effort so like behind the scenes as well like the whole community jumped on board and everyone was helping out wherever they could behind the scenes was amazing you know i mean i i guess the position i was in at that time i got to deal with so many people i had you know more to do than just sort of tell girls to get firelines and that sort of thing but the community in general talking about the wider community here, not just the local one. They were they were just amazing. You know, there was there was people literally coming out of the woodwork. You know, there was there was meals, there was drinks, there was pretty much if, if you said, you know, I need this, give it a couple of hours and somebody had found So yeah, they they worked just as hard as what the people on the ground did because you know, at times there was a hundred and fifty ounces of feed sort of thing and, and that's just the people that were on the firebrand. So yeah, there was a huge effort, you know, behind scenes that and that didn't stop day or two later. That basically went for a month, you know, because once everything did start to settle down and it was controlled, you know, we we still had crews out every day that were, you know, going out and, you know, checking different areas and so yeah, there was there was just a massive effort. So I guess in terms of other people helping out, I know there are a lot of different brigades like jumping in from all over, you know, that region. But um, there have been, you know, a few comments made about the state's involvement. Are you able to kind of walk us through what happened there? And uh, Look, I think from a state perspective, Depor started off, so they were doing what Depor do and, and we work well with them. But I guess it was a case of, bureaucracy took over and I'm not going to say that there was mistakes made but I guess it was more a case of there were decisions made that were bureaucratic decisions rather than decisions made by experience. Yeah that makes sense I've spoken to a few other people about it and they said it was you know a major learning curve and it's something that obviously like it would have been great if a fire that big didn't have to happen for that learning to happen but yeah look As I said earlier, I've sort of been a volunteer for 43 years and I guess in a sense I've I've been pretty lucky because I've I've been all over Australia for mine. So, you know, I've seen some pretty big incidents prior to this. But, you know, this, even for me, and and I sort of like to think, you know, I I know what I'm talking about. I learned so much at that one time. There were things about the weather, things about the fuel, just oh, so many little things, you know, you could look back on now and say, well, I, I, I never actually believed that or never actually knew that and, until that fire happened. Yeah, um, definitely. So would you say a lot of things have improved in practice and, you know, what people know since, the, since uh, those fires? You know, afterwards we went through the Ferguson report and there was a lot of recommendations. And, and I guess, you know, some things have been put in place, others... I sort of feel that, you know, they may have just got a tick and a flick. Actual change, I don't think there has been an actual great 
it on that work and just keep reviewing it, you know, otherwise the likes of Yarloop will happen again. And probably one of the, one of the biggest issues at the moment is more about mitigation than anything else, you know. There's, there's a lot of talk about it and, and fuel load was, you know, what got us into trouble in 2016. So could you expand on that a little bit just for our, the general public listeners who don't have firefighting experience? Basically, the mitigation process is designed to lessen the fuel load. And with with DEPOR's annual burning program, you know, in the forest, it sort of should all come into place so that you have large areas of low fuel, you know, that's only, you know, say, one or two tonnes per hectare, instead of having an area that hasn't been burnt in, say, between seven and ten years. You know, that's just natural uh, leaf drop. Annual growth, that sort of thing. So, if we can manage fuel loads uh, a lot better in in all areas, then you know the likelihood of, of having another yellow is is less. And that's I, I think where we need to put a lot of our efforts is, is into the mitigation because the only way you can stop these fires is is low fuel load. Yeah, and that is a lot of the work that um, the different brigades all over WA like do do at the moment, you know, as much as they can with the resources they have. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's something that, um, I would just say, the process does need to change. It doesn't need to be made difficult. And that in itself is a bit of a juggling act. To, you know, how do you get people to, I guess, burn off responsibly on their own property? How how do you govern that? Do you make it so hard that they don't do it? Or do you make it easy and run the risk of fires getting away when, when people burn off? So you've got to find a balance in there somewhere. And, and, and look, I haven't got the answer. I really haven't because I've been trying for years to get people to burn responsibly. But yeah, somewhere in there there's a balance and, and that's where we need to reach so that we can we get people to clean up their properties, we can get local government to clean up their, their reserves and road reserves, we can keep people, you know, doing their autumn and spring burns, keep those programs running. And and hopefully at the end of the day get to a point where we have got lower fuel loads close to populated areas and outside of that, you know, we can work on, on those areas at a later date. That I think is probably the ultimate aim. And there's, there's a lot of other stuff that uh, people have got to learn to accept management practices. You know, when you do have fires, you've also got to um, have people to, to go and fight those fires and keep the volunteers coming through. And I guess the, the career people, they need to accept the way volunteers are to a certain extent and work better with them. So there's, there's lots of learning that came out of that particular fire because everything we've got time for today is there any final like things you'd like to say or let the general public be aware of? I guess from my point of view now that I've, I've you know stepped back a little bit and sort of look back at it five years on it, it, it's had a, I guess it's good points and it's bad you have a look at the these days and, and it's rebuilding it's actually rebuilding rather well you know 
know there's lots of new houses, but I, I think in time it'll, it'll be back to, you know, it'll be a real, real little town with character, so, which it had before. And I, I guess one thing that people sort of really need to know is how appreciative the locals were of you know, everybody's help at the time. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Phil. We really appreciate it. Yeah, oh, look, um, no, it's, it's you know, my pleasure as well to sort of have a yarn about it because um, time marches on. I know you sort of, I, I guess, really don't realise, but yeah, it is five years. Unpaid Professionals is authorised by Bushfire Volunteers, ABM 88309 326 546, www.bushfire.org.au.